Welcome to Season 9 of the Art of Teaching podcast. My name's Matthew Green and I'm so grateful that you've joined me today. Before we get started with our discussion, I would like to acknowledge the Darawal people, the traditional custodians of this land on which I'm recording, and pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land. Today I have a very special episode for you, a conversation with Chris Buswell. Chris is a multi-award winning EdTech and STEM education leader and was named the Showcase Queensland Teacher of the Year in 2019 and awarded a Commonwealth Bank of Australia Teaching Fellowship in 2020. He is currently the Director of STEM at a brand new K-12 Australian International School in Dubai. He is now helping to build the foundations of an innovative and world-class school from the ground up as part of the Dual Education Queensland and KHDA systems. Chris is a strategic thinker, innovator and inspiring school leader. I hope that you get as much out of our conversation as I did. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for uh, for taking the time. Where are you phoning in from? I'm phoning in from Dubai in the United Arab Emirates, actually. Nice. What's the weather like over there? Uh, uh, this time of year, it's it's winter here, which is it's absolutely beautiful. So uh, it's a lot cooler than summer. 45 degree days over summer, and you know now we're looking at mid 20s. Nice, you know, close to 30. Yeah, beautiful. Very nice. I, I can sense a uh, an, an Aussie accent. Whereabouts are you from? Uh, I grew up in Perth in Western Australia. So, yep. Nice one. Uh, quite possibly the most important uh, question for our conversation. What's your coffee order? If one I can finally nip over there and buy your coffee. Uh, well, I'm a flat white lover. Um, no sugar. Um, I've moved into the lactose-free world uh, right. as I've got older. But uh, coffee over here in Dubai is exorbitant. So... Um, I've got my DeLonghi machine that sits there every morning and keeps me going. Amazing. Have uh, have hipsters made it to Dubai yet? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. There's a there's a massive <laughs> coffee scene over here. Yeah. Um, and but you can you can get everything you you need over here. Like the the diversity of what Dubai offers is pretty incredible. Fantastic. I uh, I. I spent a lot of my time between Melbourne and Sydney and I know there's this bitter rivalry between <laughs> there's a lot of uh, cafes with uh, distressed wood and all of that kind of thing. <laughs> it's good to know that, that, that they've expanded uh, beyond, uh, beyond Australia. Um, is there something that's still on your bucket list or something that you would love to do that you haven't quite done yet? Uh, yeah, at, at the top of my bucket list is to have kids. Um, yep. So yeah, it's a, obviously a, a, a code that we haven't been able to crack yet, and we've been trying for a long time. And I think uh, you know we're, we're right we're at the stage in our lives where we'd love to um, start a family and have kids and and um, and move down that that journey. Uh, but yeah, I've got obviously a lot of things. I'm a very goal oriented person, so 
I love all the adventure sports. I'd love to be able to um, kite surf and free dive um, one day. And I'm a, I'm a big surfer when I'm obviously not in Dubai. Uh, but yeah, on the on the bucket list, and I and I by no means do I think I'm I'm ready for it yet. But I'd love to do a TED talk one day, um, potentially something to do with STEM. And um, and then uh, something that I was going to do uh, as COVID hit was go to Mount Hagen Secondary School in Papua New Guinea to teach for a month, take some long service leave, but that'll change. So that's on the bucket list for later in life. Fantastic. And we'll talk a little bit later about the amazing work uh, that you're doing in PNG. And that sounds, uh, so let me get this straight. You wanted to take time off from teaching to go and teach? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Interesting. I mean, we, we, we do what we do because we, we love it. Um, it's my passion teaching. And so, and uh, the, the Papua New Guinean people, I, I have a strong connection with them and their culture, their, their way of life. And, um, and I think, you know, immersing myself in that environment, in that community, getting into the classrooms would be something I could, I'd take away forever. So yeah, Amazing. I'd love to do it one day. Is there a, um, a book that's made you stop and reconsider things in your life? Um, I guess there was a book that I read, uh, kind of as I turned 30, so 11 years ago now. Um, and it was a, a time in my life where I, I decided to travel with a friend and go over to London and do all that and have a little bit of a break from teaching for a year. But, um, it was the book thief and, uh, by Marcus Zusak. And, and I don't know what it is about this book, but it's narrated by death. And, and I think for me, it, it just, it really kind of, uh, yeah, just just really shaped my understanding of how important knowledge is, and and you know, don't take it for granted. We have easy access to it these days, and yeah. you know the the idea of the humanity and um, the good and the bad that that we see in society. And um, at the beginning of this school year, um, one of uh, my staff members gave me a book, uh, Legacy by James Kerr, and uh, I cheated a little bit. I, I ended up getting the audio book. Uh, and listen to that, but I, I really like the, the the section where it talks about Richie McCaw and his leadership and um, the power of language, and and I think that for me has really shaped the everyday words that I use in in my leadership roles and um, just the importance of of collaborative developing that language and that shared understanding of what our language is in our context. I uh, I got an email today saying that I had one more Audible credit, so I think I'll uh, be buying, I'll be uh, downloading Legacy. Do you feel like you? Um, uh, something that I am sort of wrestling with is, can I say I've read a book if I've listened to it? I don't, I don't know because um, uh. I'm reading, <laughs> but in terms of, I, 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 yeah, I'm not sure about that. What are, what are your thoughts? I on that? I don't know. I I definitely struggle with that idea, but um, I think I've been programmed by the algorithms a little bit these days, yeah. so. Uh, I mean, for me, it's all about time. And, and so I, I listen when I'm exercising and uh, I find it very hard to sit there with a, with a book uh, when, I, when I do get time in, inside the house. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'm currently making my way through Stolen Focus uh, by ah, okay. Johan Hari. And it, yeah, it really talks about that sort of, uh, that long lost art of reading in particular fiction, that ability to mm. talk uh, conscious, uh, to hold attention for sustained periods mm. of time and also to really handle complex stories. Um, and so mm. one of the things that I, uh, I'm going to try and do, my uh, wife is a fiction writer and she's always telling ah. me to read fiction. And I know mm. I'm, I'm really kind of interested in like the business books, those sort of three points to change your life and all that. But I really want to try yeah. and 
embrace more of those kind of complex narratives this year. Um, and if you get a chance, uh, even if you do download it on Audible, Stolen Focus is uh, <laughs> is uh, it, it is really phenomenal and kind of sort of really scary, um, but well worth that. Yeah, well, well worth a uh, well worth a read. Um, uh, Chris, just wondering, uh, uh, what was your uh, upbringing like? Like you said, you were, you're from Perth originally, and mm. what's something that you are most grateful for from your parents? Uh, yeah, well, uh, my dad's Australian. Um, my mum and my grandparents and her sisters uh, emigrated over from London in the 60s. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I grew up in, in Coogee. Uh, I would not, don't... Uh, uh, misplace it with Coogee. So Coogee is uh, a little seaside suburb near Fremantle. And uh, yeah, so my dad was a, a Navy diver and he got a, a $30,000 loan to buy a quarter acre block right next to the ocean. So that was where I started my um, my upbringing. Um, and, then, and then we moved around a lot. Um, unfortunately, my parents separated when I was younger. And so I moved in with my mum. My dad ended up uh, doing a lot of work on um, prawn trawlers and and so he was away a lot and I had a very strong connection with him and by the time I got to 15 I ended up moving in with him and um, I moved uh, into him and then into a, a private school education uh, a boys school so Trinity College in Perth and that was a big change in my life um, growing up in, in co-ed public education and uh, I, we moved around a lot when I was younger and um, yeah I think you know that that really shaped um, a bit of drive in me being exposed to um, just the diversity of, of, of students that, that were in that school in the middle of um, right next to the Wacker in um, yeah. Perth City and uh, and yeah and I think that really motivated me to, to start moving into this this world that I am in now um, the academic world. Yeah fantastic and um what were you like at school? Like, and was there a um, was there a teacher that had a particular sort of impact in your life? It could be could be positive, could be negative. It doesn't always have to be positive. Um, oh, I mean, I was I was very dedicated in school. Um, I I was never the the top student though, and I always I guess I wanted to be. Uh, so I, I was motivated and driven, and uh, but I was also um, I liked a little bit of balance as I as I got older. Um, I you know I discovered surfing. And, and so that kind of shifted my attention a little bit. Uh, but I, yeah, I mean, I love learning. I, I've always loved learning. And that was instilled in me from, from very young. Uh, my mum, my mum's very spiritual, very grounded by the earth. And um, I, we were exposed when we were younger with all of our cousins to just, you know, constant learning experiences in nature and the gardens. My grandparents would walk me around the garden and just point out, you know, the, the little subtle things that people don't notice. And I think that that kind of experience really stuck with me and just made me curious about the world later on in life. Um, my, my dad on the other side is, um, he's more logical and uh, very business orientated and very grounded and um, uh, in terms of uh, being you know, working hard for what you get and, and, and also, uh, you know, tracking a pathway, being setting goals and, and finishing those goals. So, you know, I think that that translated into, to me, um, always wanting more and always wanting to challenge myself and test myself. So I, I, I did well in, in uh, high school, um, I moved into university and I, I don't mind telling this story. I, it's something I always tell to my uh, chemistry students. So I started off really uh, strongly in my first year of university at Murdoch University doing an environmental science degree. Not really sure of my pathway at the time. And 
Uh, one year, one year in, I uh, was heading to university with one of my best friends that is still my best friend to this day, and uh, we decided to take a detour on the way to our exams and go surfing instead because it was one of those days in Perth that just never happens. And uh, and uh, you make these silly decisions in life sometimes, and uh, they have obviously impacts and. As a result, I, I lost my place in that university because I, I missed those exams and, and didn't get graded. Now, um, that was one of those times in my life that I, um, I felt like a failure and I uh, felt like I had to reassess everything and the reasons why I was, um, I was, I was tracking this pathway. And so uh, I, I call upon that because it, um, you know, I, my failures for me are, are one of the most, they're the important learning uh, situations that happen in in your life and um, it's opportunities to really reflect deeply about what you want where you want to be and um, yeah a year later I'd, I'd moved into state and um, and just tracked this pathway very quickly to to my career now wow interesting um so failure is an interesting one um, mm. because we one of the lessons that I'm learning at the moment is that life is not always linear. It doesn't always end up mm. the way you thought it would. And I look back on my career, specifically in teaching, and the times that I think I failed the most um, uh, are quite often the, the, the biggest opportunities for growth. Uh, and it can be. Um, and I've started to, I've started asking myself two questions this year. The first question is, what if it was easy? And the second one is, what does this make possible? And so the second question, what does this make possible? Um, I was supposed to have breakfast with a friend today um, and his kids were going crazy and he couldn't make it. And I said to myself, okay, what does this make possible? And this made, and not that that was a failure, but this made possible that I got to have an hour sitting and reading a book on my own in a cafe. And so I've actually started to, to reframe um, when things happen that are unexpected. How do you uh, define failure and why is it an important part um, of your life when things don't work out the way you'd plan them to? Uh, that's a that's a really great question. Uh, defining failure, uh, it's it's very relative to, to you. Like everyone's idea of what failure is is different. And, you know, like from a very simple level, when I'm when I'm in the classroom and I'm teaching, I always track students down an error error based pathway for them to kind of reevaluate what their thinking was. And then from a from a bigger perspective, I, I mean, failure is uh, I'm very comfortable with change and, uh, you know, uplifting my life and doing something different. Uh, and I think it's because of those failures and that I've had in my life that I've been able to to feel comfortable with. It's 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 OK to fail. Um, and fa failure for me is uh, it's it's you know i guess being being focused on something that you think is the right pathway that that you think is the the natural course that you should be taking and then all of a sudden uh you just get this massive life shift uh and and yeah uh, failure is it's a it has a bad connotation to it i think yeah yeah it has a really but i think it's it's absolutely critical as you just mentioned to yeah. um to to yeah, to your, your own ability to reflect and to change and to grow over time. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if we were sitting down at a barbecue and I said, um, so Chris, what do you do? What do you do now? How would you, uh, how would you answer that question? Uh, okay, well, what do I do now? So uh, over in Dubai, I'm the director of STEM at the Australian International School. 
Um, so we're a, we're a brand new school in our second year. Um, so we're a K to 12 school. We're only at year seven yet. So early in our history, only 250 kids. Uh, we're the, the first Australian school in Dubai, believe it or not. So the other Emirate next door, Sharjah, has a few Australian schools. Um, we have a sister uh, education Queensland school in Sharjah and there's a couple of Victorian schools. Um, at, at the barbecue, um, I don't lead in with, I'm the director of SEM. I actually find this this question really uncomfortable mm. for some reason. Um, and I don't know why, uh, you know, like I, my, my automatic reaction to people is I'm, I'm a teacher um, and I, I, I tend to downplay for some reason um, my role and, and what I do. And, uh, and, I, and I, I don't know if, I, I get different reactions to, to that question when I say I'm a teacher, depending on where I am in the world. Right, um, interesting. Yeah, really interesting. So we spent three weeks traveling Sri Lanka um, over the December period. And, and, and when, I, when I say I'm a teacher, the people's eyes light up. They, they, they just see you as being um, someone that really shapes you know, wow. people's world and society. And um, I, I, I tend to... I tend to not get that same response in other other places around the world that um, maybe uh, don't see teachers as being a profession that's that, that's as valued maybe or as as um, uh, in a relative sense to other professions that that we see around. Um, so so yeah, and the the other thing is like um, STEM education and that acronym STEM is it's not really well known yet, which is surprising. Like I um, I mentioned that and people have no idea what it is. So I think you know I'm. Over the over the next 10, 15, 20 years, that I think that's going to be common language in people's vernacular as a, as a, it, it becomes more important um, in our changing world. Yeah. So here's your uh, a chance to clarify from your point of view. Then, um, mm. what what is STEM? I mean, bearing in mind that this podcast gets listened to all over the world, um, and so if there were some sort of central components of STEM, uh, what do you think that would be? Um, yeah, I mean, so an overview that I, I don't think that there's one definition of what STEM is. It's it's highly contextual, and every workplace that I've gone to, I've I've had to de define it for that context. I mean, even working in PNG, there there has to be a complete different definition for each school within um, Papua New Guinea, and it's always going to be different to the Australian schools that we're working with. Um, I, I'll, I'll take you back. Like, um, obviously, I, I was a science math teacher, and my, I was a specialist chemistry teacher. And, and going through, like, I always just considered myself a science teacher. And there was a point where that that transitioned to being a STEM teacher. And um, and I think it, it began to happen. I, um, I used to teach uh, IB chemistry, high level IB chemistry, and the students in year twelve had to do a an investigation, and uh, they had complete. It was open ended. They could do whatever they wanted. Um, and so what I, one of the programs I developed, I got one of our local lecturers to come in and meet the students. So Dr. Greg Watson, and he's one of those pure scientists that doesn't believe that chemistry is different to physics, is different to biology. And, and he came in and spoke to the students. And I loved the fact that he just was able to question the world. Like he'd walk down mm -hmm. the beach wow, looking at the sand. And, and, and then he would go, wow, why is, the, uh, why is this little crab going into this hole? Like, how does it know it's that's its home and and then he would develop these massive projects answering these questions so um, I got him in to inspire the students but there was one particular student um, Naomi who um, you know I mean wouldn't have considered herself a strong chemistry student at the time um, she enjoyed she was very curious and she was very motivated and driven but 
one of the things that he presented was the work that he was doing on geckos. And so geckos have this amazing ability to self-clean. So um, they have super hydrophobic skin. So a water droplet would, on a super hydrophobic surface, bounce off. Um, it wouldn't just stick. And so gecko skin, when they have water drop on them, it actually draws out the the dust and, you know, any bacteria that might be there and, and, and cleans it. So we started investigating uh, the geckos and this process around super hydrophobicity and Naomi got stuck into it. And, and what I saw was her having to draw on these multitude of skills to be able to develop this brand new investigation. So, you know, we were getting slow motion cameras of water dropping off surfaces that we'd created initially, and she was filming that. And so there was this engineering process to develop, um, you know, the surfaces that she was creating. Um, she, she then sort of went into nasturtium leaves, which are super hydrophobic as well, created molds of these nasturtium leaves. Um, went to the university and used a scanning electron microscope to get a, a, you know, a magnified image of what she'd created. And um, you know, all of these skills across all of the sciences, um, you know, this, this idea that she had to use problem solving and thinking, and she's connecting with her community. She's um, pulling upon real world knowledge. And uh, yeah, pretty incredible results. I remember when I first saw this, um, this scan that she'd done and she'd replicated this surface so well that this new material that she'd created was super hydrophobic, but um, so water bounced off it, but um, it actually replicated this nasturtium leaf so well that the, the gas exchange organelles, those little stomata were, were just so clearly present. So, um, and, and, you know, this, this, this girl, Naomi, she went on to, you know, being so um, inspired by the work that she'd done, uh, took a, a pathway into, into science at university and, and now into her career and she came back into the school afterwards to talk about her journey and, and i think you know for, for me that that was where my thinking really changed around stem and you know we, we started um really i guess immersing ourselves in entrepreneurial programs and bringing in design thinking frameworks in what we were doing and um, bringing in technology and so forth but uh I, uh, I'm going through a process at the school that I'm at and really developing our STEM strategy from the ground up and it's highly collaborative. We've got a, a committee of people and, uh, you know, the, the first thing that I get from staff that haven't been involved in this, this world of STEM is that um, I, I can't do STEM. I'm not great with technology. I'm, I'm not an engineer. And so there's been a, for me, um, there's been a big shift away from the acronym science, technology, engineering, and maths as such. And, um, even, you know, this idea it might be STEAM and, and bringing in art um, and moving moving away into it, it, it's a way of teaching and it's a way of thinking. And so from, from our context, we've been developing what are our values that sit behind STEM? Uh, what are the, the things that we think are important as our, our common thread that we, we see across our school from our three-year-olds all the way through? Uh, and then, um, you know, the, the key principles that define uh, stem for the AIS context. So, so some of the things that we've come up with is obviously we want to embed design thinking frameworks, which, um, which for, for me is, uh, I think just changed my teaching, changed my leadership. I apply it basically in everything I do, even in my own life now, um, bringing in student agency. Um, so the shift from teachers being the, the, the absolute specialist to the generalist and, um, not having all the answers, not having all the knowledge and, and being the facilitators to, uh, to coach students to find it themselves. Uh, and, yep. then, and then all of these skills, skills around being curious, being creative, um, 
bringing in the expertise from outside of your community. So um, STEM is about creating really um, strong networks with uh, local businesses, local institutions, um, uh, parents, bringing people in to, to share that expertise and create that community um, around what you're doing. Amazing. And there's, there's so much in that, uh, Chris, it's almost a, we almost need a podcast episode on each of the points that you raised, which is wonderful. Um, I'm just wondering how do you, like as a teacher, like how do you sort of position yourself as someone that's a learner, somebody that asks questions continually? And is there something that you have recently learnt or, or, or even changed your mind about? Um, Changed my mind about I, I, I've actually tried changed my mind about primary school teaching because I, I I'm, I'm a high school trained teacher and I've come into a, a setting that is uh, from three year olds to year seven and um and, and I in my role I, I you know we're we're doing everything we're in the classroom I'm teaching I'm I'm in the three year old classroom now and and before I came here I was like there is no way I can teach primary school students I was completely uh, oblivious to the idea that I could. Um, transfer those skills into that setting and you know I just I think I was so in awe of what primary school teachers do to really um, that theater that building that uh, that sense of wonder in kids and um, for for me just going into that environment uh, um, I think every high school teacher should do it at some point in their career Um, it's given me this greater knowledge of that educational spectrum to just to see kids uh, be sponges and and um, I, I, like I, I'm used to these really slow incremental rises, but I can just see how, you know, you can just get these sparking kids and there can just be this real quick ex- exponential shift in their understanding of the world. Um, so, yeah, I, that's really changed my mind. And um, I, I mean, being a learner, I mean, I think, I mean, that that's just something that's been instilled in me throughout my life that, uh, you know, we're, we're on a journey. Uh, we're on a journey together. I, I definitely in my role don't consider myself a, an expert in STEM whilst I've got all of this experience and, and exposure to it. I'm, I'm on the journey as well. And, and, I, and I really encourage the people that I work with to, to just jump on board and let's, let's discover this together. Uh, because it's um, it's definitely not static. It's it's going to be fluid and always changing. And what it yeah. is now won't be the same in five years. So. What an incredible uh, privilege and opportunity you have to kind of map out that broad range of skills from three-year-olds right up until 18-year-olds and even begin to have those conversations of uh, what are some of these competencies and values that we want threading throughout our school. Um, how do you even begin to um, define those things? Like how like how would you even start to create that continuum of uh, of STEM from three-year-olds right up until 18-year-olds? And is it something which you would expect students to move for uh, move through chronologically uh, or is it more personal? Um, I guess my big learning this year as a leader has been that that takes time. It, it takes a lot of patience. Um, it's not something that you can map out uh, straight away because you're, you're dealing with, a diverse range of kids that come from, you know, this, this multi, especially in a place like Dubai where 80, 90% expat population. So we, I, I walk into a class of students and there's 12 different nationalities. So um, I, I, my process, I guess, is to 
to have our community involved in and collaboratively developing that understanding. It's not something that that we do individually. We want people to take ownership of that process. So um, it's it's a it's a process of building strong relationships, getting to know the people around you, the the kids, the teachers, the parents. Um, and, and then slowly over time, I think it, it evolves organically. Um, you, you, the students are the drivers of this for the most part. Obviously, uh, our, our older kids are, are taking pretty key roles at our school um, in all aspects of what we do from building new spaces and having ownership of design um, to, you know, the what is our leadership process going to look like? Uh, how would you like your classroom setting to look? What makes you learn better so and, and i think that now translates to curriculum and to skills and and they're helping us shape our understanding so it's not yeah it's it, it's a very organic process and um we're a, a year and a half into our school's history and, and and it's still taking shape yeah is it have you found that transition challenging obviously you started off as an educator somebody in class to then step out of the classroom and look more broadly at school structures and 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 all of that is that a has that been a a different set of skills that you've had to develop and uh do you miss the uh the chaos and the wonder of the classroom um <laughs> i spend a lot of my time in classrooms so i'm obviously we're we're a new school and everyone jumps in and, and just builds the school together. So, uh, and I think as a leader, getting into classrooms and establishing relationships and culture and, and a shared understanding of like, this is our the, our way of being, our way of doing in the school is really important. So yeah, I, I'm yeah. in the classroom all the time. And so uh, the chaos is, is uh, yeah, something I, I definitely am exposed to every day, but uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. This, this year has been a massive journey for me in terms of my leadership growth. I'm I'm probably five years into my leadership journey, um, you know, across schools now and coming into a brand new school, the first time I've been in a brand new school where we've got dual systems. So we're operating under Education Queensland as well as KHDA, which is the Dubai based system. Wow. So we're, we're, we're getting in and um, having to really, you know, understand what these systems um want us to do and then merge them and find that there needs to be alignment between them and uh you know developing that culture as i mentioned in staff but then all of the compliance stuff that sits behind yeah. it and our, our, our we're shaping curriculum as we go where we're building our understanding of, of moderation and um you know these are our processes regarding observations so policies uh processes uh yeah so there's there's just a body of work around leadership that uh that we've been collectively doing and uh my my big learning and uh think it's something that i reflect on a lot of i'm going through a, a coaching process at the moment is just um that idea of patience and uh I, I came from a very large school uh we had sort of two and a half thousand kids at mountain creek state high school on the sunshine coast in queensland previously and um you know established school and then coming into this new setting um and and having to overlay those skills in a primary setting k-12 to in a, in a new country there just needed to be this sense of it doesn't have to be created straight away everything that we have is living and it it is evolved over time based on our staff contributing and, and taking ownership of it. And um, we could we could rush things or, or we could overlay what we have done previously, but it wouldn't work and it wouldn't um, have that longevity of implementation. 
And so I'm interested in how you'd sort of merge those two curriculums together and kind of find that 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 common ground. I remember uh, in my first year of teaching, I was working in an IB school in New South Wales, but also, so it felt like we had two systems that we were trying to work out and it was <laughs> particularly challenging. But what do you think are some of the lessons that um, our school system in Australia can learn um, from the system in Dubai? Is there anything that if we could take away one mm. thing from the curriculum over there, from the way that things are run, what what, what do you think mm. that will be? Um, Dubai, I mean, the UAE itself is, uh, you, the change that has happened here over 50 years is pretty phenomenal. Um, and, and things move very quickly. There's this idea of um, things can shift within a day's notice. And this is our change of process. And, uh, you know, we could get told that there's a public holiday next week. It's just the way things work over here. Uh, and, I, and I think that that translates to what we see in the mm-hmm. world of, um, of of the KHDA and their education system. It's, I mean, there's a lot of grounding based on the Ofsted uh, process that uh, that they use over in um, in in England, the British space system. Uh, but the 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 key ideas is that I, I think we're, we're we're the first Australian school, and Australians by nature we we do things a little bit differently, and we really believe in this idea that we're developing the whole child with this holistic sense of education, and um, we we might not achieve an objective over a single lesson. It might be mapped out over multiple multiple days, weeks, months. And, and so I think a, a lot of our work is, um, uh, is to lead up as well. Um, it, it's it's to, to showcase what makes us unique, showcase what makes us different to other education systems and, and, then, uh, um, and then and align the way we work with what's already there, um, which, you know, like we, we just got a new wellbeing framework um, that just came out last week or the week before and um it's incredible it's great it's all the right things that that we're looking to see in some of the best education systems in the world so um yeah it's it's a very fluid process over here i mean there's a framework that that we have to uh work to but uh yeah i think it's it's working with the system and and understanding that that uh it's it's not rigid and, and it can be malleable if if you do it the right way yeah interesting um, I'm just curious, Chris, um, how you define leadership um, and also um, if we were to ask somebody um, that you worked with um, about your leadership, what would they say? Um, I promise we haven't asked anybody. That, that would actually make a really interesting uh, podcast if we brought somebody in. Um, <laughs> but, uh, what do you, firstly, like I said, what? Uh, how do you define leadership and also um, uh, what would one of your colleagues say about your leadership and your leadership style? Uh, okay. So, uh, I mean, leadership is a growth journey and my, my understanding is always shifting and changing. Uh, I, I love, I uh, had a student a few years ago when I was involved in the Papua New Guinea PNG Oz partnership. Uh, and they stated that leadership is a state of mind, not a role. Uh, and, that, and that stuck with me. I, I think, uh, you know, lead, leaderships are, are first. Leaders are first-class notices. So, uh, they're, they're someone that that has an idea of the the staff within and, and really observes, sits sits back and and gets to know the way trends are moving around classrooms, around 
the larger school structures and, and are able to, to shift and predict my, what might happen. I, I read this great article about uh, Lionel Messi and, uh, and just t- it talks about his leadership on the pitch and he spends you know, 85% of his time off the ball. And you know, some people say he's kind of like meandering on the field and, and walking around. And but what he's doing is 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 being a first class noticer. He's he's looking around and um, observing the play off the ball, and that allows him to predict what's happening next. And so, I mean, education and leadership—it's a deeply human um, career. And, and the first thing that we need to do as leaders is to get to know the people that that we have around us so that we can build those relationships that foster trust that build build safety um, and really you know once you've got those key fundamental elements I, I believe that you can inspire people to kind of think beyond what their boundaries are or what they think their boundaries might be you know that idea of building passion and um, progressing people through their career and um, people realizing that education is definitely not static. Um, there, there are multiple ways in which you can progress down, down your career. Um, you know, so I mean, for me, it's it's inspiring um, others and, and influencing, but doing it in a way that you, um, you, you, you're one of that that team. You're, you're not someone that um, sits above people. Uh, you know, like a, someone. Uh, I mean, people have always told me that um, leaders, good leaders, need to make themselves redundant, and I've I've kind of always struggled with this idea. But maybe I might understand it one day. But uh, it's it's empowering people around you with the skills um, to understand that that larger strategic vision and that that set of values that that your school has. And and once they have that clarity then then that process should be automatic and people feel confident to be able to to go about their their jobs um the the middle leadership of schools are, are incredibly important um well, I mean, you might have read michael fullen's work around middle leaders and uh that there's lots of stories around how uh, large businesses, if they take that middle leadership out, the effect that has on staff. Um, Google, for example, I think they experimented in 2002 and they they removed all their middle leadership. And uh, and, and what happened was people started to um, I mean not miss that idea of being micromanaged and um, being told what to do in their jobs, but they just miss being valued. They missed having that human connection and someone to to say like, is this the right pathway? Um, and, and just get that that affirmation that you are doing the right thing, or or maybe that coaching opportunity to say, um, have you thought about doing it this way, or um, what what do you think could be the yeah. next pathway? So, mm. Yeah, really interesting. And and if um, uh, back to that second part of the question about what you think somebody would say about your leadership style, um, if there are a couple of words that you would like to be. Um, uh, remembered for as a leader what would what would that be um i mean the values that you hold as a leader often is not what other people see so there's a there's yeah, a lot of work in making point. sure that yeah that, that you're showcasing that and leading self first um i mean people really interesting i think the science teacher in me is always i, I have a relative sense of of who i am and other people sometimes see me as being this highly motivated and, and driven leader that's that's always sort of being innovative in their thinking and um, and I, I measure myself based on on people that I think are, are great and I don't see myself that way sometimes but uh, I, I think people just see me as being incredibly passionate um, I think that comes across in everything I do uh, 
I love the relationship side of schools and, and building the relationships in our community, whether it be kids, our uh, teachers or parents um, or beyond maybe. Uh, yeah, I think so people I think that really resonates with people that I that I am authentic in myself and I have very strong values and, and ethics that I hold myself to as a leader. And and I think that once you've established that those set of values, it, it means that people will will yeah. automatically um, follow. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, um, I mean, they're, they're, they're wonderful traits. I think that that's, that's so admirable. Um, is there something, uh, is there a quality in your leadership that you are currently working on um, and something which you would like to improve on? I feel uh, like yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, always. Um, leadership of self, I mentioned before. So uh, just... Yeah, I think it was Timothy Hawkins in your podcast, and he mentioned this idea of if you know you you need to lead self first before you can lead others. So I mean, a lot of lot of work on um, emotional intelligence and and making sure that the face that you're that you're showcasing, um, no matter what is going on in in your world, um, the complexity of that world is is not being pushed onto other people. So. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I definitely want to work on um, just that composure, that, that and that sense of presence, being uh, being present and uh, around people uh, is, is incredibly important, and it's very easy to to have that mind drift off to everything that you have to do. But you know, when when you're in the workplace during the day, your your job is to be there for people, and and often that pushes the operational stuff that you do outside of uh, work hours. Yeah, so. How do you think we, I mean, there's a whole, I mean, there's, there's, there's been books and books and books written on change and, and change management and complexity and all of that kind of stuff. But you're in a kind of a unique position where you are building something, um, you and your executive team from the ground up where you get to um, have these conversations about how to build a thriving school culture. How do you build continuations of uh, sorry uh, continuums of capabilities with kids and how do we do you have any thoughts on how we take people along that journey of change with us because I know that for many people myself included uh, change can be quite um destabilizing and quite challenging mm. and so how do we start to as as leaders have an idea um go somewhere in our own minds and then take people along with us how do we do that because that's that's very, very challenging. Once again, a whole nother podcast series on itself there. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm by no means uh, the expert in this. And I think this is a part of my own journey. I, uh, yeah. You mentioned before, we've got constant change in our environment and we have this luxury of being able to create things rather than change pre-existing things, mm-hmm. uh, which is, which is, which is a nice place to be. Uh, but, you know, People always come with this, uh, these pre-existing ideas of the way things should be. So um, you have to honour the past. Um, I think it's really important to e- acknowledge that change happens slowly over time. Um, I mean, I'm someone that that is comfortable with change, and I'm I'm an early adopter of certain things. But uh, we have a we have a a very diverse. Uh, workforce and and every one of those people in their diversity plays a really critical role um, in our system and so really acknowledging the fact that um, everyone's viewpoint in how that change should occur is really important and a lot of the work that we do is um, is making sure that you know we we have multiple different committees that people get an opportunity to uh, 
to consider what they would like to see and then their voice actually can translate into what we're doing in a leadership perspective in the school so they, they're taking ownership of that change and i think that's that's really important and change takes time and this whole idea of an implementation cycle um, in my career i've seen things roll out that have these dips that that happen so um, it's it's about mapping that out and and keeping to that key strategic target and making sure that you're developing good habits around that particular implementation so those those agendas um it's very easy to to build a lot of momentum initially and it starts to fizzle out if you don't um keep reenacting what you're after fantastic sorry i forgot i was on mute then um i uh I'm, I'm just gonna. I'm just putting something on for my little one to watch. Harps, do you want to come say hi? Yeah. This is Chris. Hey. Say hi. Hey. Nice to meet you. <laughs> a little dance for the morning. Hey, right. right. <laughs> Harpsy, what do you want to? Do you want to watch your episodes, sweetheart? Mm -hmm. What What do you want to watch? You're doing really well, Harps. The place with. Yeah. Which one? With. You're doing so well. We'll make pizzas in a minute. Okay. With mermaid power. Mermaid power. Oh my gosh. Okay. Hang on. Daddy's just on a call, sweetheart, but you're doing so well. Mermaid power. Okay. Sorry, Crispy. Two seconds, mate. Nah, you, you take your time. That's fine. You're doing really well, Harps. Thank you. A special treat. So you get to watch a... You take a mermaid power. Look no, at that. Not that one. Not that one? Okay. All right, mate. <laughs> okay. Which one? With her sister. I don't know which one that is. Right. In a mermaid cave. This one? No, no. No, that one? Okay. Okay, hang on, sweetheart. Okay, got to be quick, love. All right? Okay. Which one, baby? You got to hurry up. Hmm. Quickly. I got to go. I'm going to choose one. No, Dad. Okay. The one when <laughs> her sisters were trapped in a mermaid cage. I don't know which one that is, sweetie pie. Can you choose another one quickly? The mermaid cave one. I don't know which one it is, baby. It's when Barbie's... Perhaps, can you just choose another one for a minute? Is it this one? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Okay. All right. I told you. Perhaps, you're going to... you're doing so well. Bye-bye. You're doing so well. Bye-bye. See you oh, later. Perhaps, can you close the door, love? She, mate, she's doing so well. She's, she's uh, gorgeous. Good job. I love you. I'll see you soon. So I'm bribing. I'm bribing her with like making pizzas and stuff. And I've got one more after this. And so we're. Um, she's doing well, mate. And then, uh, yeah. But uh, all right. So I will, of course, edit that out. Um, so what I think. Uh, so we obviously. Uh, I think you. Well done for maintaining focus during that question while it was all chaotic on my side i appreciate that oh, that's uh, right. <laughs> but, um, what i would love to do so the next question i'm going to ask is about png um and mm. so i would love to start to move into mm. that if that's okay because i know that's something which you would really love to talk about and it sounds really interesting yeah. so okay let's get started um so chris tell me about the work that uh you were involved in in png it sounds uh sounds really really interesting yeah, so the uh, the PNGOs Secondary Schools Initiative uh, was formed four years ago, and it's uh, an Australian uh, government DFAT initiative led by Asia Education Foundation and University of Melbourne. 
And basically it's combining 12 schools from Australia and 12 schools from Papua New Guinea wow. with the objective to, uh, to develop a, a shared understanding of, of what STEM education is, uh, build, build leadership skills in students and, and this idea of, uh, of people to people links. Uh, and, and you know that shared understanding that that I mentioned. It's uh, what I what I've really loved is that um, we, we come in, from Australia with I think a, a fairly you know a developed sense of how STEM education is playing out in schools. Uh, there's been over the last decade, of, you know, a lot of grant funding that has gone into schools to really build foundational skills in teachers, but you know, going into PNG and then seeing this completely new context and wow. incredible people. And then the, the, the shift of my understanding around culture and how that in, embeds in traditional understandings of what STEM education is and, and, and this idea of this human connection and how important it is for, for um, the, the understanding of how, how education works uh, in, in a STEM setting. But yeah, the, the, the partnership itself, it, it's been going strong now for four years, transitioned from face-to-face. -face. So we, we actually spent time in, in Papua New Guinea. We all went over to Port Moresby and then went into schools, in rural schools. So I was in um, Rabal, if people know where that is, um, a school called Keravat. So I got to teach in, in that classroom. And the nice. Papua New Guinean schools came over to Australia. We did workshops in Melbourne. Um Mount Hagen Secondary School, which is our sister school, came to Mountain Creek on the Sunshine Coast. I've, I've got great memories of, of the team coming to my house and having a barbecue. Um, so, you know, really op a great opportunity to, to really build strong connections. And I think that's what allowed us to transition very quickly through COVID into this online world and using blended models and, and main, maintain momentum in in the partnership. So um, I'd like to acknowledge some of the incredible educators that have been a part of, of that program. And I, I came in as a, a teacher leader initially, uh, but uh, people like um, Chris Hart, um, Anna Antonievich, um, uh, Kathy Kirby, uh, these, these are some of the people that have, I think, shaped my understanding of STEM education and leadership and you know what's possible in this international education setting. So a uh, big thank you to them. And um, over time, my role has kind of evolved. Um, uh, I've, I've been leading design sprints, so blended model design sprints. So we've done done ones on climate change, on food security. And, and the way it operates is uh, uh, it'll be a day that we'll do this sprint and it'll go out to schools across PNG in Australia. Um, we might have 150 students operating in a hall in one school and uh, so, you know, a typical classroom in Papua New Guinea has 70 students for one teacher. So uh, during COVID, we had kids operating from home. So this just really diverse mix of ways of working and uh, the, the outcomes, you know, we always link it to real world situations, but the, the work of the students is just incredible. The, the solutions that they've come up with and the, the way that they have worked together to, to really shape, um, you know, and as I said, my understanding of STEM has, um, has been quite amazing over time. Incredible. I don't know if you've heard of the amazing work um, of Jen Buchanan and also Russell Cayley from um, Think Global School. I had the, the immense privilege of speaking to both of them um, for the podcast. And one of the many things I took away from that was a reminder of how important it is to place learning within real context and actually getting students to solve real world issues um and 
Um, it's so lovely to hear, like I think back to your story of you walking around your grandparents' garden and, and and noticing things and fixing things and tinkering. And that was learning at its um at its finest. And the fact that you can go to different schools that will have different levels of privilege to what you're currently uh, at. And, and we can all learn from each other if we are positioning learning within these real contexts. And how how important do you think it is to to um, get students to help develop that prompt, that that concept, and that in, that 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 question for themselves, so that they have that ownership. Uh, I mean, at the framework of design thinking, absolutely encourages it. But you have to you have yeah. to develop a sense of perspective and and empathy in order for that to happen. Um, uh, we uh, a lot of our our kids, you know, will develop solutions or, or initially decide on a problem that's based on their their local context it's something that relates to their, their specific community it's a need within their community but to do that they have to they have to scan they have to get an understanding of the way things operate what are the needs of not just them as learners but their the, the stakeholders that this might affect so uh, yeah it's really important for kids to think first locally and then overlay that to, to a global solution because often you can scale up you can translate yeah, wow. what is done on a small scale to a large. Wow. And it, you sort of briefly touched on um, the use of technology and and um, and obviously we're all sort of globally uh, coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. And what do you think are um, some of the um, uh, things that the COVID-19 pandemic taught us about the importance of the work that we do as teachers? Are there any lessons there? Um, are you optimistic that we can learn from these lessons um, or do you think we'll kind of spring back into, into old habits? Uh, yeah, very interesting. Um, I mean, what we saw very quickly was the, this idea that what we saw in a regular classroom wasn't what we were seeing in the, the digital world with kids. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it just, I mean, it really brought to the surface that there is a diversity of learners and oh, wow. no one is the same. And I, you know, for me, for me, you know, there was a there was a quick snap. Now we're online, and there was a mass upskilling of teachers and and students into how we operate in this digital world. But the the students that I would see probably the least engaged in the classroom setting um, often were the ones that were the most engaged and the most willing to be a part of the digital world. So I think it. it uh, the lesson that I learned is that um, the regular traditional classroom potentially isn't the best way of working for for some people and, and maybe we need a hybrid model to to best cater for our kids yeah. Uh, yeah so that's the first thing and then overlaying that is this idea of well-being and the wow. importance of well-being um, from a student perspective and and also a teacher perspective and yeah. I think a lot of people walked away from COVID um, thinking that they need to ensure that they have a balance teachers are absolutely hard working and then dedicate a lot of their life to to kids to the classroom and so I, I think um, you know we need to make sure and there's been a lot of work done in Australia around the role of our profession and, and making sure that we we protect our profession and we ensure that it, it is sustainable in the long term yeah I um this may sound like a bit of an aside, but I remember having a conversation the first year of uh, teaching with our school librarian who had this complete set of Encyclopedia Britannicas. Um, and I remember, <laughs> um, I remember my grandparents. I used to go around to their house and they that they were um, working class and, the, and, and their sense of pride that they had in yeah. 
holding this knowledge in these yeah. books. They never looked at them, but they were just on the bookcase. <laughs> and I remember in my first year of teaching, having a conversation, I came in all ready to go and change the world quite naively and all of yeah. that kind of stuff. And I remember having this conversation with the librarian and saying, we don't need these, they're outdated. And it raised this mm-hmm. whole, and, and look, if I had that opportunity again, I would have been a bit, um, a bit kinder and listened. Yeah. But it mm-hmm. raised this question about, um, about knowledge, about the role of teachers, about how students acquire knowledge, and and how do you think the, um, how do you think the the notion and the role of a teacher is changing and has changed? Because Google is way smarter than I am. Uh, does that mean my role is no longer important or do you you feel like it's changing somewhat? Mm, yeah, I, I still remember the door-to-door salesman coming to our door and I was seven yeah. and selling the encyclopedias. Yeah, it, it's pretty incredible the, to know. I remember yeah. they had this like gold leaf, I think. Yeah. The <laughs> and they just looked like, they looked mm. like they were so important and so unattainable. Um, and But mm. yeah, sorry to, to cut mm. you off. What, what do you no. think? How do you think our role is changing? I mean, yeah, it, uh, rapidly changing world. Um, and I know we throw that out, you know, quite quite easily, but the, our world is, and there is, the, the shift is becoming more exponential and it's changed, I think, over time. So uh, the role of the teacher, uh, we are no longer the, the sage on the stage, you know, or the fountain of all knowledge. I think uh, global education is changing. Um, the, the trends and the way kids learn is changing. So, I mean, if you wanted to learn something, you can do it for free using YouTube for the most part. So kids kids understand that they 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 can access knowledge however they you know want to and and whenever they want to. So, I think uh, you know our teachers have to be more comfortable with this idea of being a generalist and and being a facilitator and giving kids whilst honouring the curriculum making sure that we give opportunities to to take breadth beyond that because kids will go there if given that opportunity so uh i i i i believe that we're going to see um yeah some some big shifts over the next decade or two with i mean there's the big talk at the moment is chat gpt and the effect of ai and uh you know if kids can write essays uh sorry if kids can write essays using ai then do we need to shift our uh, ways of assessing and um, this real importance around skill development. And I think, you know, that STEM education does that really well, bringing the general capabilities to the surface of, of our education system. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, going back to what you said before, are we ready for it? And um, am I confident that the changes that we saw in COVID are going to last? I, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a lot of push and pull from different factors. Um, systems pull down and, uh, and affect the way that we operate, and I think uh, we we need to start thinking globally. And and um, and I think you know the IB does that really well, building these global networks. Something that when I was uh, head of department for IB, I just saw this this community working together to shape the way in which the the curriculum developed. And I think that's we need to see more of that. We need to see teachers, students working together to to shape the way our curriculum yeah. should be in the future. Yeah, it's so important. And, and I, um, Chris, I, I do want to be respectful of your time. So I, I just have a few more um, questions. We have 
covered a lot of really interesting ground. And I hope that um, for those people that are listening to our conversation now, um, I'll put a range of resources in our show notes so that people can continue their own journey and do some research on some of the things that we've talked about today. But um, Chris, if you could, um, thinking in particular with STEM education, if you could change one thing about teacher training to encourage the development of uh, of teachers that are uh, better equipped around STEM, um, what would that be? What do we need to do more of in teacher training? Uh, well, uh, big question. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I, I think, well, I think first of all, we need to ensure that uh, people are getting the opportunity to, to do professional development in, in fields that will further their own career and, and being more personalized in that professional development. I think personalized learning is, is coming to the forefront with, with technology today. So I think there is there are opportunities to to really build uh, the, you know, like if we go through a professional development process, we've we've got an idea of the specific areas that we want to grow in. So everyone is at different stages in their careers and often we we distribute PD as a as a school wide approach that's that's very um it's common yeah. amongst everyone but uh yeah I, uh pd, PD I, I mean i'd love to see uh more more opportunities for staff to be immersed in design thinking frameworks so mm -hmm. i really right. believe that one once people see design thinking and, and get to use it and and get comfortable with it and get to play with it uh, i think it will impact uh teaching in many ways amazing yeah I, I couldn't agree more. I'm assuming you're aware of the work that um, uh, uh, IDEO does over in, um, in in California around um, design thinking and iteration, and it's something which I'm just beginning to get my head around. And so um, it's it, it's really interesting. And I think as a as a teacher personally, I'm I, I'm getting better at, with not knowing the answers, um, mm -hmm. and I'm getting more confident with flattening the hierarchy so to speak in my classroom and giving students mm. the opportunities to not only make me look silly when I'm wrong but also to challenge their own assumptions and I think that's so incredibly important and if we miss that as a result of the the global changes that we've seen I think we there's a real issue there so I think embracing that messiness um is really really important um, Chris, just imagine we're sitting down in a hipster bar somewhere in, uh, <laughs> in Dubai, um, how we're having a coffee. Um, and I'm just about to step into the classroom. I've just graduated. I'm excited to go. Is there a, a piece of advice that you would give me, um, as I look forward to a career in education? Uh, yeah, I mean, just be kind to yourself. I think it is incredibly important, um, I think teachers uh, often they will have a bad lesson, and it can be very it can affect people uh, emotionally, uh, and and those 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 opportunities when you have a lesson that doesn't go to plan um, are the the opportunities for growth as we mentioned before. Uh, that reflection that you go through as a teacher is is what shapes your career, and um, I, I mean I've never done a lesson the same way twice so yeah being being kind to yourself and and making sure that uh you, you just absorb as much as possible and and realize that uh there is no one way of doing things uh, I, it's very hard to define what great teaching is and 
you know, one teacher that is considered great works for some students, but not others. So um, getting to know the diversity of teaching styles and get any opportunity that you have, if you have a spare session, ask a colleague if you can sit in their lesson and watch them teach, because I'm, I'm guaranteeing that you will pick up a little nugget of knowledge that you might be able to use. So yeah, yeah. just um, ask a lot of questions, um, be okay with failure and, uh, and just uh, enjoy what you do and, and make sure you make time for yourself. Uh, yeah. Balance is incredibly important. And would you add anything um, if you were giving me advice about a school leader, becoming a school leader? Uh, patience, <laughs> patience, things take time. Uh, and yeah, uh, back to what we said around uh, ownership and making sure that everything that you do as a leader has to be collaborative. Amazing. And uh, it, yeah. Amazing. Chris, I can't thank you enough um, for taking the time to talk with me. Um, uh, as I mentioned before, we hit record. Uh, the only reason why uh, I get to do this podcast is due to the generosity of people like yourself that are willing to be vulnerable and open and share your journey. And my hope is that there will be educators all around the world that get things out of our discussion today. And so um, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Um, and I'll make sure that I put all of the uh, show notes, uh, all the information in the show notes below the podcast so that people can continue the discussion. And um, where can people uh, connect with you, uh, follow your journey, find out what you're working on? Uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Probably the best way is through LinkedIn. So you'll, you'll find me on LinkedIn if you search Chris Buswell. Uh, but Matt, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I, I love your work. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how you manage to do everything you do, um, but it, it's incredible to see how the diversity of people that you have on your podcast. So congratulations and, and keep it going. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's very kind. And um, hopefully we can do a round two someday. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. And I've also created a private Facebook group where we continue the discussion there. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and can't wait to see you for next week's episode.